The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give it a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, would give it a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So uh, my first um, job out of seminary, my first call out of seminary is going to sound a little familiar. Um, I was the chaplain to Valdosta State University for one parish and the vicar of a very small mission congregation that was out towards uh, Booty Air Force Base. And so I split my time between the two. And um, after I'd been in the church for a little while, several of the parishioners had asked me if I would be willing to go in and check on a former member. And it was a man who long ago had moved about an hour away into an assisted living facility. And it was an extended care place. It was one of those graduated care places. And they informed me he had some form of dementia. And as far as they knew, had not been very responsive in a long time. Um, but he was a very far way away, uh, and people didn't get to see him because it was strangely a care home in the middle of nowhere in South Georgia. Um, and so I, they asked me several times if I'd go, and I said, yes, of course, of course I'll, I'll go. And so I carved out a whole morning um, to make the drive over and visit and come back, and I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I was nervous about the trip. Um, I had seen plenty of patients who were non-responsive in the hospital. I worked for a, a chaplain, as a chaplain um, in a heart hospital uh, previous to that, and had called on several patients who were non-responsive, um, but that was different because I sat in on rounds and I listened uh, to reports on the patients and knew what their status was and knew about family members and something about their medical backstory, um, and would go in and visit, say hello, 
even though they weren't responsive, say hello and visit and say a prayer and then go. And my visit might last five minutes um, because I would go to the next patient um, uh, and visit. But this was different because he, he didn't have any family around um, and people hadn't seen him in quite a while. And so I had no concept of really what his state was, uh, what, what it would be like when I walked in to see him. And I was driving an hour just to, to go see him uh, through those Georgia back roads, um, and I didn't want to be there five minutes. I didn't want to walk in and say a prayer and walk back out again. I, if I was going to be there, if I was going to drive two hours round trip, I wanted to make it worth my while, funny, um, <laughs> to be there. And so I traveled, uh, got it to his room, and um, knocked on the door, and then walked in. And there really, it was a very quiet care facility, and there weren't many nurses milling about. Um, so I, I asked one of them where his room was, and she pointed me in a, the direction, but that was the only exchange I, I had with anyone going in. So I knocked on his door, and I came in um, and realized they had, it was a very good um, care facility. They had moved him out of his bed and into a chair, uh, as they did every day for him, and put him facing the window. Uh, and so I walked around the bed and sat down on the bed where I could kind of see him. He was just a few feet away from me, but he was pointed in the other direction so I could see most of his profile really um, and realized he wasn't truly looking out the window he was his gaze was directed out the window but the truth was he wasn't looking at anything um, his sight was very unfocused um, and he just just looking looking without uh, purpose or without reason and I introduced myself uh, and said a few words to him, and he made zero response. His eyes didn't flicker, he didn't shift his weight, nothing. Um, I, I don't know that he was aware that I had entered the room even though I was speaking to him. He made no response. Uh, and me and my brand new priest nervousness needed to fill all that space with something. So I just, I just started talking, <laughs> so nervous. <laughs> Uh, so I, I just sort of started talking and rambling and started talking about people in the church and what we've been doing in the church and trying to figure out anything to fill the void in the space around us, uh, which was my need, not his. That was my need out of my discomfort to just do something because to be productive we must do, right? Uh, and finally I ran out of things to say and I sat there for a minute and I thought, I didn't know if I could touch him because um, sometimes patients who have been non-responsive get agitated if you touch them. Uh, and I didn't know that he was really aware I was in the room, so I didn't want to put my hands on him or anything. So I kind of ran out of stuff to say, amazingly. And, uh, <laughs> and sat for a minute and thought, well, I'm just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. I, that, that's, I, that sounds like a good plan, you know. It's good enough for Jesus good enough for me you know uh, and so I bowed my head and collected my thoughts and took in some deep breaths because I'm still so unsure of myself and breathed into the space to try and feel the presence of the spirit there because of course the spirit is always with us and sort of breathed into that space and then started to pray the Lord's Prayer uh, and then a, a few words into it after I'd kind of gotten the rhythm of it but slowly um, I looked up and looked at him and realized that his gaze had turned. He had turned his head into the room a little more and turned his eyes towards me. They weren't on me, 
they still were not focused on anything in particular. But his body and eyes had shifted towards the sound of that prayer. And then I realized his mouth was moving to the same rhythm of the words I was speaking. And I realized he was, he was there with me. I was no more, I think, than a shadow uh, in the recesses of his mind, of attention, I, I think I just was, you know, just in the periphery of his awareness. But that prayer was more. That prayer was so much more. And his mouth moved, and when I finished, he just reset. And his gaze went back out the window, and he turned away. And that was the end of his awareness of my being in the room. I stayed for a few more minutes um, and then left, but left in absolute awe of the power of those words and their ability to break through that cage that his mind had been in for so long. You know, not many things can, can nudge their way through those barriers however tightly we have been locked in or have locked ourselves in, those words still nudge through. I pictured, you know, we talk about Jesus as the good shepherd, and we think of his crook, uh, his shepherd's crook uh, on its staff. Um, thy rod and thy staff, they come for me, right? Uh, and I pictured the curved end of that, just slowly pushing its way through all of those barriers that prevented him from being aware of what was going on, and that hook just gently reaching around him and pulling him in just a little bit, just enough for us to be in that space together, that nothing else might have been able to do that but, but the shepherd, right? To be able to come and hook him in and bring him back for just a minute. It's a powerful thing to know ourselves to be anchored and moored, especially in a time, a temporal time, when it seems like we must not be. Um, I loved in our colic for today, I wrote it, I wanted to underline it. You know, in our colic today we said, with you as our ruler and our guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. And when we pass to the temporal, sometimes we get so lost, so out of sorts and out of place, that it feels like there's, that's all there is. I remember when I was getting ready to go off to college, my brother's four years older than I am, so he had just graduated for college and I was about to start my freshman year. He had all the knowledge at this point. And so, he sat down with me before I went off to college. We were just, we'd eaten dinner, I think, and we were just visiting, and he said, I must have been like a week before I left. He said, and some backstory. I knew nothing, knew, no, knew, no, new one, no, knew, no one. Oh, I'll spit it out. I knew no one who was at the school where I attended, right? I didn't know a single person. I didn't know an upperclassman. I didn't know, there was not a fellow stu student in my freshman year that I knew. I was going to a school where I absolutely knew no one. And my brother had had a similar experience. He knew one person, um, but it was very similar. And so he said, now, when you get to school, when you get to college, 
you're going to feel like somebody threw you way up in the air and that you're just floating above the earth and you're desperate to reach down and grab a hold of something, anything that will anchor you again. And he said, just hold on, hang in there, you'll find it, you'll find it, but it's going to feel very chaotic to start off with, but hang in there, you'll, you'll find something to pull you back down. And of course, as you all know, that was the first but not the last time I've ever felt that. And I wager you felt that more than once in your lives as well. Any change, any loss, any moment where our lives go in a different way, we feel again as if we were, sort of you remember holding a sheet and popping a stuffed animal up in the air by popping the sheet out. It's like somebody's popped you up in that sheet up, up above the ground and you think, oh crap. <laughs> I have completely lost control. I'm not a part of any of the decisions that brought me to this point, especially dealing with loss, right? And I am now completely thrown into chaos and there is nothing that is holding me, nothing. I am completely and entirely unmoored. And I want nothing more than to find something that will hold me somewhere so I can get my bearings. And when I have felt that, Oh, it's so disturbing, isn't it? Change always brings that for us. But as I witnessed with the gentleman I went to visit in the care facility, um, I also imagine when we fly up into space, now I know that really I'm in the crook of that staff. I'm in the crook of the shepherd's staff. Even better, have you ever seen a kid about to fall and a parent reaches down and scoops them and the parent picks them up and their legs are all just dangling but the parent's arm is around their belly? They're fine. They're fine. Uh, I picture that, you know, that while I feel like my feet and my hands are flailing in midair and nothing has a hold of me or I have a hold of nothing, I realize that's not true. Because the sense of chaos, the sense of change, the sense of unknowing, that's all temporal. Even for that gentleman in the throes of dementia, it's temporal. That any sense of chaos and lack of control we might feel, it's for a moment, really. As hard as it is, as impossible as it is, as upsetting as it is, it's still for a moment. And all the while, that good shepherd, Jesus is there, holding on. Because nothing, nothing ever takes us outside of the reach of that crook. Nothing. We will forever find ourselves in those eternal arms of God, always anchored to someone that will never change, will never let go, and will never abandon us. And that's amazing. That's amazing. We never need be afraid even though we'll be scared to death. Because that arm is there. May we walk through things temporal that we lose not things eternal. I love that in our colic, but I want to change it. Of course I do. <laughs> I want to amend that colic so that we say... After this, we, we say we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal, but add. 
and the things eternal will hold us fast as we pass through the temporal. Amen. Amen.